0: and welcome to Back From The Borderline. I'm your host, Molly, and I don't want to talk to your personality, I wanna talk to your soul. Now here on the podcast, we talk about alchemy. The idea of alchemy is to reduce something with fire, burning it down so that something new can rise from the ashes. You can do this with your personality too. You can perform emotional alchemy You've always had the power, you just didn't know that, and now you do. This podcast is a place to unhook from your overextended life to explore, understand, and integrate the darkest parts of your soul. And here on Back From The Borderline, there's no finish line, no quick fix or cure, there's no outcome, only eternal unfolding. The medical model of mental illness tries to convince us that the root of our suffering is due to chemical imbalances in our broken brains, and that the best we can do is to numb or suppress the symptoms of these disorders, dysfunctions, and imbalances into remission. The definition of savior is one that saves from danger or destruction. What if we viewed our symptoms as saviors? Through this new lens, we can begin to see painful mental health symptoms as natural responses that we can learn to become fully conscious of and slowly change. And here on this podcast, you'll learn to view your symptoms as saviors, as alerts from your body, mind, and spirit that want to let you know when you're out of alignment with your deepest yearnings of your soul. From chaos comes clarity. Through working with and integrating the concepts we'll explore together on this podcast, you'll emerge transformed, standing in the ashes of the person you used to be. To returning listeners, welcome back. And to new listeners, welcome. If you want to make sure that you receive new episodes every time I drop them on Tuesdays, make sure to follow Back From The Borderline on your favorite podcast app. And don't forget to join our community on Instagram at Back From The Borderline, where you can also find tons of links to top episodes, as well as follow my writings on Substack and all sorts of other Fantastical things. So, I hope to welcome you into our thriving community of big feelers and existential thinkers. So, you might be wondering, Molly, what's going on with this like fairy tale harp music in the background? Well, number one, I just like it. I just love anything that makes me feel like I'm living in medieval times, listening to someone play the lute to me while I lay under a tree and like drink some wine and have. Cheeses fed to me, or something like that. That's pretty, that would be pretty amazing. But I'm also playing this music because today we are going to be exploring the fear of abandonment and how fairy tales can capture dimensions of loss and transformation, and also exploring the concept of the mother wound through depth psychology. Now I've been wanting to talk about the powerful impact that myth and fairy tales have had on my recovery from emotion dysregulation for a long time, but I actually received a voicemail from a listener this week that I'd love to play because it even reiterated further why I wanted to do this episode. So, let's take a minute to listen to this voicemail.
2: Hi Molly, my name's Jesse. I'm few months short of being 28, and I'm from Nova Scotia, Canada. And I'm speaking to you um, within my role as a PhD student in clinical psychology whose primary research interests lie in the realm of personality disorders, whatever that means, right? And these interests of mine were to some degree born out of personal and familial experiences. Now kind of aside from that I've also noticed that we have a a, quite a bit of an overlap in our interest with respect to depth psychology and and, uh, Young's work in particular and I've noticed how you've been weaving together this kind of intersection between Personality disorder and and depth psychology and alchemy and how that's kind of akin to psychological individuation, and I think that's so interesting. It's something that I've actually been musing on for years, and um, I'm wondering if we can maybe chat some time about why it is you think personality disorders might lend themselves uh, to that kind of theory.
0: Thank you so much for this question, Jesse. And I think it's just fantastic. And I love that you are also interested in depth psychology and the work of Carl Jung. And you asked, you know, what's the overlap between these specialties and the idea of personality disorders? Human personality is so incredibly complex. We know a lot less about it than most mental health specialists would probably even care to admit the human mind and consciousness and the way that we develop as humans and handle our emotions is quite mysterious and the reason why i think the work of carl jung and other depth psychologists some of my favorites are marion woodman and marie louise von franz and I could go on, but many of them are Jungian analysts. One of my very favorite podcasts in the world is This Jungian Life, and if you haven't checked that out, I highly recommend anyone who's interested in my work to follow that podcast as well. The reason why I think depth psychology and just the work of Carl Jung and other Jungian analysts resonate so much with those of us who identify with symptoms of what is known as borderline personality disorder or who just struggle with emotion dysregulation, who have a hard time uh, with reactivity and just big existential feelings is because the work of these types of individuals aren't afraid of complexities The work of Marie-Louise von Franz, who's one of my favorite Jungian analysts, she wrote an incredible book, and it is called The Interpretation of Fairy Tales. I'll read you the description of the book. It says, a Jungian psychologist, Marie-Louise von Franz, argues how careful analyses of fairy tales like Beauty and the Beast can lead to a deeper understanding of human psychology. On the various types of mythological literature fairy tales are the simplest and purest expressions of the collective unconscious and thus offer the clearest understanding of the basic patterns of the human psyche every people or nation has its own way of experiencing this psychic reality and so a study of the world's fairy tales yields a wealth of insights into the archetypal experiences of humankind Perhaps the foremost authority on psychological interpretation of fairy tales is Marie Louise von Franz. And in this book, originally published as an introduction to the interpretation of fairy tales, she describes the steps involved in analyzing and illustrates them with a variety of European tales, from Beauty and the Beast to The Robber Bridegroom. Dr. von Franz begins with a history of the study of fairy tales. And the various theories of interpretation. By way of illustration, she presents a detailed examination of a simple Grimm's tale, The Three Feathers, followed by a comprehensive discussion of motifs related to Jung's concept of the shadow, the anima, and the animus. As I mentioned before, I highly recommend, if you're into this kind of thing, getting this book. It is amazing, I read it myself, and I have found that I was just coming up empty when it came to mainstream mental health treatment modalities. I think that medication and other things like CBT and DBT can be really helpful in terms of like getting people out of a crisis mode and getting people safe quickly. But I think that there's a reason why many people maybe go through an entire DBT program, which is very expensive and very intensive here in the United States and also can be really difficult to get into even take months and months and months of time to get into and then they'll finish that program and say that they feel like it quote-unquote didn't work and after having hundreds and hundreds of conversations with people about this at this point i think when they say it doesn't work what they mean is that they still feel empty they still feel purposeless purposeless is that a word (laughs) they still just don't feel right Maybe they don't want to kill themselves anymore. Maybe they are feeling stable, but they still feel numb. They don't feel connected to anything bigger than themselves and they feel stuck. What I love most about depth psychology and Jungian psychology and exploring myth and fairy tales is because it allows us to really dive deep into the collective unconscious and explore some common themes and also see ourselves in them. And I believe that it is only through this kind of deep inner work that we can perform what I talk about all the time on this podcast, which is emotional alchemy. I found an article recently called The Fear of Abandonment, Missing Mothers and Fairy Tales. And it's written by Dale M. Kushner. Dale is a master of fine arts, and through her writing and poetry, she explores the intersection of creativity, healing, and spirituality, and she is also a big fan of Carl Jung and his work. And I'd like to read this article together, and as we read it, I'll provide some reflections and thoughts. And I'm going to let our medieval harp continue playing in the background since it's such a good mood. The article begins, One of my earliest and most frightening memories is the time I became separated from my mother in one of last century's massive department stores. I must have let go of her hand, or she of mine, which one of us wandered off, I will never know. I looked around and suddenly, inexplicably, she was nowhere in sight. I felt pure terror. In the busy aisles, unfamiliar adults brushed past me with cold impassive faces abandonment is one of our primal fears for nine months we inhabit our mother's body completely dependent on her for life-giving essentials when the umbilical cord is cut we become separate beings unmoored from our source unlike other primates at birth we are helpless and dependent humans develop self-sufficiency at a much slower pace than our primate cousins and remain immature for longer than most. Without an attentive caregiver, our early existence is precarious. Before Sigmund Freud, the father of psychoanalysis, speculated that separation from our mothers at birth is the central trauma of our lives, European philosophers, among them Kierkegaard and Jean-Paul Sartre, theorized that fear of abandonment is a major component of modern consciousness. What they understood, the existential nature of anguish, despair, and aloneness, we now embrace as a condition of our postmodern psyches. Maternal mortality, dying while giving birth, or thereafter, must have been high on women's lists of ever-present dangers to their lives. Medical historians Van LaBerge and De definitely butchering those names, estimate that maternal mortality could have been as high as 25% in prehistoric times. In traditional societies, a solicitous maternal presence ensured safety, security, and survival. Her absence could be catastrophic, often presaging an arduous struggle for her offspring for food, shelter, and love. Common wisdom comes down to us through folk and fairy tales. So it is unsurprising that the tragic event of a mother's death or absence due to separation or illness found its way into them. These cautionary tales illustrated the challenges an orphaned child might encounter after such grievous loss. Loneliness, poverty, despondency, victimization by revenge, competition, jealousy, envy, and greed. The tales don't just depict these woes. Some were maps to transformation from naive and untested young girls to brave, self-sufficient young women. For heroes, the transformation required a warrior stance, slaying the enemy, or killing the monster. But for heroines, the prescription was the deployment of charm, wit, cunning, generosity, kindness, gratitude, and respect for nature. Remedial attributes and virtues, rather than sheer courage and brawn, secured her success over malevolent forces. Many well-known fairy tales begin with a mother's death. Most often, though not exclusively, stories about mothers and daughters start in this way. Cinderella and Snow White are the best-known examples in the United States. The death of the mother precipitates the daughter's journey to find her way in a seemingly cruel world. Bereft of a tender, caring maternal presence, sorrow and woe besiege the grieving child, a trope much more common in stories about a daughter's loss of her mother than a son's. In both cases, the abandoned child must grow up, that's in quotes, that is, become her own true self. But the masculine-identified child is encouraged to take immediate action, while the feminine-identified child is encouraged to suffer through the hardships. However, the tales also indicate that without the initial difficulty or abandonment of the death of the mother, the heroine would not be required to discover her courage, self-respect, self-worth, and maturity. In some cases, the mother figure is not dead, but metaphorically missing. She's emotionally neglectful, passive, narcissistic, or inadequately loving, like the mothers of Rapunzel, Hansel, and Gretel. Or she is beholden to her male counterpart, which means like kind of like codependent relationship, right? The consequences of having this type of mother are just as devastating as if she had died. I want to take a minute to reflect on this piece here because I think there's some magic in what she's describing. Two important reflections that I get from these last two paragraphs is that abandonment can happen in many different ways. And that can be the death of a mother or the metaphorical death, which means your mom, if she's emotionally absent, if you've been emotionally neglected, which I can relate to, it's also just as painful sometimes as having no mother at all. And maybe sometimes even more so because having someone alive and there, but them not being able to feel reachable or accessible to you is incredibly painful. But what I love about what she says, she says, without this difficulty of abandonment, then we wouldn't be required to discover our own sense of courage, our own sense of self-respect, self-worth, and maturity. So these types of experiences force us to develop a resilience and grow up, and we can also start realizing what we would do differently, potentially, if we were a parent. So the author continues by saying, What do we make of all the wicked stepmothers? The frequency with which they appear in fairy tales is indicates a truth about human wholeness. No person is all good, all giving, or all knowing. No human being is without anger, jealousy, greed, or what Carl Jung called the repressed shadow self. The shadow self is the split-off and unacceptable aspect of our psyches. And in the fairy tales, the negative qualities society rejects are often projected onto the figures of these wicked stepmothers, or the witch, or the hag. What mother hasn't had moments of anger, frustration, exhaustion, and resentment and felt like a monster? What mother hasn't wanted, against her best judgment, to lash out at her child. How shameful we feel accepting our emotionally nuanced humanity. In fairy tales, the dead or missing birth mother is idealized and angelic. In Cinderella, the perfect mother is represented by a fairy godmother who appears when Cinderella's need is urgent. Like all good fairy godmothers, she supplies the necessary goodies for Cinderella's transformation. In the Russian fairy tale, Vasilia the Beautiful, before Vasilia's mother dies, she gives her daughter a wooden doll, a stand-in for a fairy godmother, and a perfectly attuned maternal presence. I want to talk about this good mother, bad mother concept that the author brings up because I also think it's really important when it comes to our own healing. We're no strangers to these fairy tales. Most of us have grown up with The stories of Snow White, the Wicked Witch, the evil hag with the apple tempting the beautiful, perfect, innocent Snow White. You have the evil stepmother and the ugly stepsisters in Cinderella and the perfect fairy godmother. And these fairy tales urge us to reflect on the splitting in general of society. It's much easier and it's also very emotionally and spiritually immature to view anyone or anything as all good or all bad. She talks about Carl Jung's concept of the shadow and each of us has a shadow side within us. We are all capable of monstrous, evil, cruel behavior and we are all capable of good mother behavior, right? Good mommy, bad mommy. We're all capable of deep love, of deep empathy. It's just some of us are cut off from either that good side of ourselves that's always there waiting, or completely repressing that bad side and putting ourselves up on this moral pedestal. What she shares about how easy it is to romanticize a deceased parent I think is pretty profound. If our parent died before we were born, and we only see pictures of them and maybe hear stories about them, it could be really easy to build up this image in our mind. It's very childish, right? Even though it can give us hope, it's building up this image of a a perfect person. And then maybe when you grow up, you learn something about this parent that passed away that completely cracks that perfect veneer that you saw of them and it can be really tempting to say, oh, my perfect image of my, my deceased mother is completely destroyed. Yet again, this shines a light on our immaturity as a collective. We are so caught in this all good or all bad mindset. If we learn one negative thing about someone, we can trick ourselves into thinking they're a completely horrible person. The point of these fairy tales is to grow up. And this means to grow up spiritually, grow up mentally, and start to see our true selves and grow out of these childhood mindsets. And that's why the lessons from fairy tales and myths are so incredibly powerful. Being abandoned by our parents or feeling emotionally neglected can make us incredibly angry, understandably, as children and as adult children. I can relate to this very much. I harbored deep anger and resentment for my mother for a very long time, and that anger and resentment served to really wipe away a lot of the beautiful things about my mother. And my mother has beautiful aspects about her and she also has things she struggles with, but in my very childlike mentality, I split on her and I saw her as the bad mother because that was easier for my very immature psyche to deal with than holding two realities at once. The fact that she's a multifaceted human being and she is not only just my mom but she is also her own complex individual with her own traumas to deal with and i find that many of us get stuck in this headspace where we expect all the forgiveness in the world for our shortcomings as people that are in recovery but we don't want to extend that same amount of grace and forgiveness for our parents and it's not easy it is not easy at all and I don't exactly even know how to move through this myself yet. It's concepts that I'm grappling with right now as we speak. And some days I'm still angry at my mother. Some days I break down in tears with compassion for her. But I think that just becoming conscious of the nuanced aspects of this is a really good place to start for all of us. So let's continue with the article. We just got done talking about, you know, the good and bad mother and she continues by writing both fairy godmother and magical doll from the russian tale vasilia the beautiful represent the capacity of an abandoned child to internalize and elicit the good mother within despite early life disturbances through facing adversity the child develops the ability to trust her inner resources and intuition Stories like The Handless Maiden, Vassilia the Beautiful, and The Miller's Daughter, in which the heroine must perform a series of impossible tasks, show the development of self to a greater degree. Help also comes from the natural world, from a frog that appears on the path, a wise bird, and a friendly wind, and here too, the heroine must consult her inner wisdom in deciding where to put her trust. Now let's reflect on this part as well. Remember that all these fairy tales usually center around a protagonist, and this protagonist is going through a journey. And for those of you who are long-term listeners know that I did a 21 episode guided visualization series called The Hero's Journey, which you can find if you click through my website backfromtheborderline.com you can become a premium subscriber and access that entire series but through that whole series we talk about this emotion dysregulation and what we now call personality disorders which by the way back in the 1800s beyond we used to call this hysteria right People have been trying to find ways to pathologize the human experience for a really long time now and it's clearly not helping. People who struggle with these labels and with emotion dysregulation usually are stuck in a childlike state of psychological, spiritual, and emotional development and going on this hero's journey, we are largely missing initiatory experiences in modern Western society specifically. Many of us were raised by people who also never had that. And by initiatory experiences, I mean someone who is spiritually more mature than you, which is usually supposed to be your caregiver or someone in your community or tribe, guiding you through what it means to go from a child to an adult, to learn to listen to your own intuition, your own gut feeling, and become your own good enough parent. But unfortunately, because of the society we're in now, we're being robbed of these initiatory experiences. Our parents and our parents' parents have also been cut off from these initiatory and ceremonial rites, and so we can find threads of this in fairy tales still. And this is why I find them so incredibly helpful. And on these beautiful heroes journeys that these fairy tale characters move through, they find little helpers on their path, right? Snow White has the little birds. Even Simba, after the loss of his father, finds Timon and Pumbaa and Rafiki along his way, right? These people who are guiding him along his hero hero's journey but at the end of the day the hero maybe simba in this case he's still on his own and he must mature and grow and become his own good enough parent and listen to his own inner wisdom and like it or not that is each of our challenges and right now If this is blowing your mind right now, well, join the club because this is also something that was just a massive aha moment in my journey. And if you haven't dived into depth psychology or myths and fairy tales and all of this stuff I'm talking about now, I encourage you to go down the rabbit hole because it's incredibly healing. So let's continue reading. Human wholeness admits that we are complex creatures, generous and selfish, caring, and disengaged. In fairy tales, as in dream work, we can interpret all the characters, including the non-human ones, as parts of our psyches. We are all the needy, helpless children, and we are all the brave heroines and heroes. We're all beauty, and we are all the beast. We can be sturdy as a tree, Blown about like a feather. We burrow in the mud of not knowing like frogs. We open our petals in the sunshine like fragrant roses. Every aspect of a tale can be interpreted and considered symbolically for a more expansive and revelatory understanding of our nature. The fantasy ending of Happily Ever After can be revisioned with the knowledge that our suffering does not preclude joy, transformation, possibility and fulfillment. What the fairy tales tell us is that we may be alone, but we are not forsaken. We are part of a vast universe in which helpful forces abound. I hope you loved that article because I did too. I'm going to link it in the episode description in case you want to read it on your own later. And I really don't believe that true transformation, emotional alchemy and recovery, whatever you want to call it, it's not possible until you start to be able to develop the emotional, spiritual and mental maturity to hold complex ideas at once, to understand that you and everyone else in the world have good and bad parts and through all of this, giving yourself the grace to... Forgive yourself and provide some self compassion in these moments of realization. Maybe if you're thinking back and just thinking how hard you've been on yourself, expecting yourself to be all good all the time, or maybe how hard you've been on others, maybe like your own parents or caregivers, expecting perfection out of them, but expecting others to give you the permission to not be perfect all the time either. These are deep reflections. I've had on my own. Recently, I've been doing a lot of reading and I've been trying to find the reading of different modern mystics. And the book I'm reading right now is called The O Manuscript. It's written by a Danish writer, mystic, and musician named Lars Mule and for many years he was a successful singer and songwriter in Denmark, but after a spiritual awakening, a self-described spiritual awakening, he felt like he was misaligned from his path, completely quit music, and began engaging with self-studies of comparative religion, esoteric knowledge, and philosophy since 1965, and from then until 1988 He's really focused on Aramaic, Christian, and Jewish mysticism. And he's written several books about these subjects. The book I'm reading right now is called, as I mentioned, The O Manuscript. And I want to read you a part of the book that just broke me down in tears. And in this part of the book, he's talking about how right after he quit his Music career in the 60s, he felt called to travel to this very small town in France and he met this man who was going to help him heal his wounds. And he calls this man the Seer. And in this part of the book, he is asked by the Seer to walk with him up this mountain and he says that he's going to help him heal because up until this point Lars Mule was out of options he was suffering with chronic pain he was depressed and suicidal and this was his just last try and he felt completely crazy doing this but he decided to follow his intuition and he found this man the seer and so in this part of the book he's getting literally led up this treacherous mountain path by the seer And as I read, you'll understand why I chose to read this particular part to you. So, this is on page 41 of the O manuscript. The seer had gone and so had the fireworks. I spotted a figure well on its way up the mountain. It was him, the seer. He was waiting in the same agile, alert, and relaxed way, his stick in front of him, but now about a half a kilometer away. This was impossible. I started walking. The beginning of the path went in a straight line, bare and steep with a sandy and loose surface that made it even more difficult to walk on. I was completely exhausted when I reached him. How did you get up here so fast? I asked him out of breath. But the question that really burned in me was more, what was I doing here? He stood for a moment, looking at the mountains below us. Then he looked at me. He totally ignored my question and instead answered what was on my mind. You are here to set foot where most people dare not go. It's your task to travel into the unknown, to penetrate into the mystery about eternity in man, to reveal new possibilities and to write home about it. You're a kind of explorer if you like. He saw right through me. Perhaps I should have felt frightened, but I didn't. It seemed quite natural. But you still have to make up your mind about a few things and to put them behind you before you can travel freely on your journey. He stepped in among the bushes and pulled out a backpack and gave it to me. Put it on. I looked at him questioningly. What was going on? Just do what I say, he said with an encouraging smile. Slightly bewildered, I took it and began strapping it onto my back. He bent down and picked up a stone. It was the size of a fist. This stone symbolizes your reluctance to accept your right place in life. He put the stone into the backpack and bent down to pick up another, which he showed me. This stone represents your reservations in regard to other people. He bent down once more. And this, your unclarified relationship to your parents. And yet another one. This is your unclarified relationship to women. He then searched carefully until he found one that seemed right. He picked up another stone, showed it to me, and it was quite a bit bigger than the rest. This stone symbolizes all of your unimportant and unnecessary worries. It was added to the others and I could feel the straps cutting into my shoulders. He bent down again and came up with a stone that was even bigger than the previous one. This stone is for all the mistakes you've ever made and all the shortcomings you still feel are a part of you. I had to lean forward to compensate for the backpack pull and was about to protest as he handed me another couple of stones. There are only three more to go. They all represent the guilt and fear of life expressed in you as cowardice, arrogance, and self-righteousness. One by one, he placed the stones on top of the others, pondering each word carefully. I could feel the anger boiling inside of me. What did he know about all of this? It was exactly this that I felt I had been working so intensively with. I really wanted to stop this circus and walk away but instead I set my teeth, leaned forward stubbornly in order to get a better grip on the straps of my backpack, which was now very heavy. Deep down, I knew he was right. Now, focus your thoughts on the burden you carry on your shoulders. Think about each and every stone and what it symbolizes. Each stone you're carrying in this backpack is part of what holds you in chains and restricts your freedom. They represent all that keeps you from moving freely about to do what you came to do. Before coming here, you worked with these things on an intellectual level, but you were unable to let them go. That is the reason for your illness. You have to relate to your problems in a truer way. You're now going to carry them for the last time. Together, we will climb this mountain to find the spot where you will let all of it go he turned around and started climbing. I followed him. And the path narrowed further up. It became winding ways through rocks, scrubs, and bushes. The stones we walked on were slippery from the rain and I had to concentrate on every single step. And in front of me, the seer almost floated upwards while my own boots became more and more heavy. Off and on, the path almost disappeared because of the rain, and I had to press against the face of the cliff and hold my balance from ledge to ledge. The weight of the stones in my backpack became more and more real. By now, I was bending over so far that I almost crawled upwards. I was sweating profusely. As promised by the seer, I now felt the physical weight of all that had been the psychological burdens of my life. Carrying them up the mountain physically in the backpack, all the shortcomings, reservations, and projections were made real in a way that forced me to really look at them. It was impossible to repress them now because they literally cut into my shoulders, bent my back, and made my legs wobble beneath me. And crawling forward, I began to understand the meaning of this apparently pointless task. I suddenly felt responsible for all of these ailments. All of a sudden, it became important to me that they were brought safely to wherever they were supposed to go. I was totally soaked with sweat when I finally made a halt on a wild ledge. No more today, the seer said. I was about to take off my backpack but he stopped me. Wait, come over here and enjoy the view. I went over to the edge. The cliff wall went straight down the valley spread out below us looking like a fairy tale. He reached across my shoulder and into the backpack and took out a stone, which he handed to me. Now, take your self-righteousness. Hold it in your hand. Feel it. What do you want to do with it? It's totally unimportant. Forget it. Drop it. He pointed to the edge. I closed my eyes, holding the stone and feeling its smooth surface, feeling its weight, I could suddenly understand what had nurtured it and why I felt it necessary to hide behind it. Your self-righteousness has now served its purpose. Although it will reappear in a new disguise, you'll be able to recognize it and know what to do with it. Today, you've decided to let it go forever. You have made the choice. I opened my hand and let the stone fall from it. It hid a protruding piece of cliff and fell deeply into the chasm of the earth. And now, here is your arrogance. He handed another stone to me. This one was also smooth and cold. It was round as a ball, and I put it up to my cheekbone, like a shot putter. I blessed it and sent it out into nothingness forever. Your cowardice. He handed me a big and dry one with edges which felt blunt and unwieldy, a shapeless monument of infamy to my equally shapeless feelings of guilt and fear which had caused so much chaos in my life. You've dissolved it and finding the courage to carry it up here in the first place, you can let it go now. I let it fall. Here are all your shortcomings. It was a big, warm stone, which was both angular and round. It felt right in my hand and it had a nice feel to it. Those are the shortcomings that are the reason you're here today. Without them, you would have experienced nothing and learned nothing. There's a lot to be grateful for. But now, you've outgrown them, and you must let them go. I stood for a long time with the stone in my hand. In a way, it represented what until now had been a stabilizing factor in my life, but it had also been a pleasant possibility of escape. I kissed it and threw it over the edge. It drew a fine curve in the air and disappeared. Now, your unimportant and unnecessary worries. This stone was cold with sharp edges. This one also represented escape and fear. I made a run and threw it with all my force. Now, your crippled way of relating to women, he said with a smile. I now saw that this stone looked phallic, more or less. This apparently was a kind of graphic education where the point quite literally was carved in stone. I held it at arm's length. It was funny. Screamingly funny. I couldn't help laughing, and we both laughed with tears running down our cheeks. A so-called stand-up comedian, he said when I kissed the petrified phallus, still laughing, throwing it into the abyss. I knew, of course, that it was more serious than that. But our laughter somehow gave it all the proper perspective. It became clear that my way of relating to women had something to do with a path or power in me that I had not yet acknowledged. Once more, it seemed like the seer could read my mind. He reached for another stone this stone represents your unclarified relationship with your parents i took it and although it was scarred after many beatings it was also warm and a perfect work of art you must now forgive them for all the shortcomings that you've quite consciously blamed them for and hope that they'll also forgive you for your silent accusations and rejections the words went straight to my heart suddenly I could see it all quite clearly, my parents and the circumstances they acted from, their relentless battle to build a life matching all the expectations and all the standards they felt they had to live up to, all their losses and disappointments, and in the middle of it all, their care and stubborn will to get there. I let the stone go and watched it slide down the mountainside until it was out of sight. Finally, these two, your relationship to other people and the way you relate to your present task. I took the stones in one hand and weighed them against each other. They were equally heavy. It would be a waste of time to hold on to them. I let go of them at the same time and heard the echo as they struck the cliff wall further down. Well, that's it, I said, and looked across the valley. It was completely quiet. Only the whisper of the wind was heard between the cliffs and the sound from a conch that you hold against your ear. The sound of heaven and of freedom. The impossible had happened. Not only did I feel liberated and relieved, but for the first time ever, I felt no guilt for having these feelings. It was not a practical joke. This was serious. It worked. It was through manifesting all my problems as physical burdens, which I could change or discard that the sense of liberation and relief was able to reach my inner self. No matter how I looked at it, no matter how many excuses came to mind, it was impossible to deny that on a completely tangible level, I had now made peace with deeply distressing elements from my past. In spite of severe pains in my joints and muscles, I was filled with a well-being that I had never known before. I turned around to offer my thanks, only to find that the seer was gone. I listened, but heard only the wind and silence. I thought I could see a tiny shape of the mountain below, but I was unsure. Under normal circumstances, I would have sworn it was impossible he would have gone that far. But now, I didn't know what to believe. This passage in the book made me break down in tears. It's a really powerful thing to imagine all of these things that are holding us back, these resentments, these things that we think are stopping us from living our truth, all of the weight of these burdens that we carry with us all the time manifested into rocks in a backpack that we're dragging through life. And... This visualization of him just throwing them out into the mountain and making that choice to be free of them just really struck me in a powerful way, and I'm hoping that it will strike some of you in a powerful way too. I read another passage in the I Ching the other day, and I want to read it to you too. The relief you experience here is not your own personal pardon, but the release of others from your rigid expectations. Like a hot air balloon, you will rise to new heights as you cast the heavy sandbags of resentments and restrictions away from you. Feel the lightness of being that results from forgiving others and accepting them as they are. Free yourself of the endless vigil of policing the behavior of others. See them for who they are, not what they can or can't do for you. So, my beautiful listener, what I ask you this week is to reflect on these things. Reflect on the concept of the good and bad mother. Are you not allowing others to have the grace of having good and bad qualities? Are you not allowing yourself that grace? What stones are you carrying around in your backpack? And can you choose to throw them away and feel the lightness that comes with that freedom. What might your hero's journey look like if you threw away all of these burdens and moved into a new era of your life of radical acceptance and beingness? In the episode description, I will link to the article I read and I will also link to the book, The O Manuscript by Lars Mule. I highly recommend the book. It's really beautiful and as I mentioned before, I think it's really powerfully important to not only just mindlessly consume a bunch of self-help, but to dive into the work of mystics and analyzing the threads of wisdom that have been left behind in myths and fairy tales. And there's a reason why these things have lasted for as long as they have. There's a reason why these stories were passed from mouth to mouth to mouth down the generations. So I encourage you to do your own exploration of this. And as I mentioned before, I also did a series, The Hero's Journey, where I put together 21 episodes of guided visualizations that walk you through each step of the hero's journey and each of the major archetypes that make up the collective unconscious. So I'll be sure to link that in the episode description as well. All right, well, thank you for being here with me for another episode of Back from the Borderline now it's time for the second part of the podcast which is available in full to my premium submarines but lucky for you i give all my listeners a free preview of our premium submarine episodes every week so what you're going to hear is the beginning of my stupid walk for my stupid mental health let's go everyone welcome back my premium submarines we're on our stupid walk for our stupid mental health if you can hear water in the background that's because i just walked past my favorite little stream on my stupid walk and now i'm sitting here also by my favorite tree it's just this beautiful gorgeous oak tree and i've been thinking a lot this week about compassion and love and the destructive impact that anger has had on me. Anger and just getting caught in drama and negativity and feeling also like it's on me to seek justice in certain situations or be the one that says something or does something and I've been reflecting on how that's had sometimes a pretty devastating impact on just my mental stillness and my peace of mind and I've been doing some reading, as you know, I've been working my way through my spiritual readings that I do, and I've made my way through like Sufism, which is like mystical Islam. I have been reading about Hermeticism, which is mystical Christianity, <laughs> and now I'm currently reading a book um, on Buddhism, and it's called The Way of the bodhisattva. And right now, the learnings that are coming up for me are all around compassion and love and inner peace and stillness. And it made me think about how often in my life, I have not had inner stillness. And come on, Cody. (laughs) We're back at the part of the walk where Cody does not want to walk over the pond. She's such a diva. Come on, codes. And I'm wondering if any of you feel that same way too. If you feel like there are so many times in your life where you could have chosen peace, you could have chosen love, but instead you chose drama, gossiping, negativity, or... Just getting involved in something that you don't need to get involved in. And as many of you already know who are long-term listeners of the podcast, I've also been diving deep into Stoic philosophy, and I've come to the conclusion that I think a mixture of spiritual readings of all kinds. I think the way of the modern spiritual path means that we should read mystic theology from all different major religions because the closer that you get to the top of every religion right like in terms of you get to the mystics of each of these major religions they all believe similar things but then the key is to mix this with philosophy as well because we need a mixture of spiritual thought and also rational thought and why I love stoic philosophy so much is because I believe that the tenets of stoic philosophy if you live by them they're incredibly powerful for people who struggle with emotion dysregulation like those of us who tune into this podcast stoic philosophy is a balance that we need I wouldn't recommend maybe like stoicism to someone who is already very rationally minded and doesn't struggle with emotion dysregulation, I might recommend like more creative pursuits, more mystical uh, studies to maybe balance out their heavy handedness on the rational side. But for those of us who are already highly sensitive, lean towards being creative, emotional, you know, beings, Stoic philosophy is powerful. And one of the main things about Stoicism, if you live by it, is to mind your own business (laughs) and focus only on the things that you can control. And when I reflect back on my life, the amount of times that I have just spun out and lost my shit over stuff that I can't control and have no control over and is none of my business, it's a lot. It's a lot of time, if I'm being honest with you. And it's incredibly draining. And I think that also when I look back, the reason why I've spent so much of my life drained is because I wasn't minding my own business and I was focusing on things that I had no control over. And that's something I'd really love the premium submarines to reflect on this week. What's in your circle of control And in reality, the only thing we can control is ourselves and the actions we choose to take. And there's been a couple of things that have happened this week. We've had some drama going on where we live, where the cops were called like on some of our neighbors. Just some physical altercations broke out. And of course, I'm hoping that everyone's okay. But the difference between how me and Zaz handled that was really profound. Zaz leans much <laughs> towards stay out of the way. Mind your own business. Don't get involved. Obviously not to the point where we would just look the other way if someone was getting hurt. But the police were already called. Things were being taken care of. And we didn't, get to, didn't need to get in the mix. And I felt myself so much compelled to, like, do something else, right? Go drive by, see what was going on, what's happening, right? And Zaz says, Molly, you don't need to get involved. Just stay back. And, of course, I did, And, but it made me think, why am I compelled to go towards the danger? And that's what Zaz said. He's like, you are the type of person that, like, your gut instinct is to move towards the drama, towards the danger. And he's right and thankfully in this instance i was fine and i and i listened to zaz and we had a great conversation about it and it sparked some really deep reflection but i just realized you know it made me think about other things like the amount of times where uh i would get you know approached by a potential like you know romantic interest someone approaching me at a bar who kind of was very open that they maybe were (laughs) mixed up in some dangerous things and That like sparked interest in me and I thought I could fix them, right? And so I went towards the danger instead of saying, no, my peace is the most important thing. And I would never judge anyone because I don't judge people for what they get involved in. People make mistakes. I'm not saying I'm any better than that person. But the thing is, is that I've run towards the drama and towards the danger pretty much my entire life. And it got me into some serious pickles and I completely... Ignored All right, everyone, if you want to hear what kind of pickles I got myself into, you're going to have to become a premium submarine. By doing that, you'll unlock this full episode as well as over 110 hours of additional bonus content, my monthly newsletter... And a super fun community of people on Patreon. So, if that sounds interesting to you, you can go to backfromtheborderline.com and click into the website. It's like a super secret, cool new website design that we just came out with. And then you'll be able to easily see how to become a premium submarine. You can even subscribe to my Substack follow me on instagram all that fun stuff so i hope to welcome you into the premium submarines then you can log in and access this full episode as soon as you become one and on the rest of this episode we will be talking to some premium submarines i'll be answering their voicemails and emails some of the topics we talk about sex work ai the uncanny valley effect growing up mentally and spiritually and feeling bored in long term relationships so if that sounds interesting to you as I mentioned go become a premium submarine visit backfromtheborderline.com but if not I hope you had an amazing time here thank you for taking time out of your busy day there's so much content that you could pick and you chose to listen to me that means a lot to me in this day and age and Take care of you. And I hope to see you right back here next week. Don't forget to follow the podcast so you get notifications every time I drop a new one. Love you. Bye. Hold
1: up.